Healthy things grow. A farmer, when he plants his crops, he expects his crops to grow. And if they didn't, he would quickly become aware that something wasn't right, something wasn't healthy, because healthy things grow and healthy things produce. The same is true of people. When I was two weeks old, my parents noticed that something wasn't, wasn't right with me, that I wasn't doing well. That sounds funny. <laughs> and they still wonder, what happened to him? I... <laughs> They knew I wasn't doing well, and I was losing weight uh, pretty rapidly, and so they took me to Dr. Albrecht, who uh, I revered when I was younger. I loved Dr. Albrecht, and he said, get him, get him to the hospital right away. And as it turns out, I was actually starving to death. Uh, I started out, I think, around 9 pounds, 10 ounces, a hefty 9 pounds, 10 ounces, and I, I think I had dropped to around 6 or 7 pounds. Uh, it was pretty traumatic for my parents. I, I called my parents to talk to them about this story to get the details right, and uh, mom started to cry. Uh, so it's still traumatic for her uh, over 35 years later. Um, I wasn't doing well because I was underfed. Once I went on formula, I was fine. I gained weight, I grew. Healthy things grow. And this is true of so many things, and it's true of Christians as well. Healthy Christians grow and mature, and they bear fruit. Paul said Christians were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so God makes Christians, and he makes them healthy, and he creates them to produce for his glory. Inactivity, decline, fruitlessness, those are marks of non-Christians, or at best case, very unhealthy Christians. Paul said in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God plants it, God grows it, and produces from it. Now sometime uh, soon, check out Lamentations 3.40 and 2 Corinthians 13.5. Maybe jot those down, check them out this week. Lamentations 3.40 in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, which talk about examining ourselves. You know, businesses have benchmarks along the way to assess how they're doing, and we as Christians need to assess how we're doing spiritually along the way. And so after this two-part sermon series, I, I, I want you to have a better handle on what a healthy Christian looks like so that you can examine your own spiritual health. And, and obviously, we can't cover everything that the Bible says about healthy Christians, but we can get a good start. And so, as we, as we proceed, you might become convicted and challenged, and that's good. And hopefully, that translates into life change. Uh, Jerusalem Church is really a wonderful community of believers to grow spiritually. God is at work in this place. And so this is the place to be if you want to grow spiritually. So with that in mind, let's look at the traits of a healthy Christian. Number one, conversion. Conversion. Healthy Christians are actually Christians. That makes sense, right? No surprise there. Christians know the gospel. They assent to the gospel. They trust in the gospel. And they enjoy the gospel. They are born again. They are spirit-filled Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus was referring to a spiritual rebirth by the Holy Spirit. 
being born again is more than morality. It's more than behavior change. It's being converted. It's being regenerated in the heart first. 1 Peter 1.3 says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So conversion is something that God does inside of someone's heart. Sinners can't convert themselves. Sinners can't change their own heart. God has to do that. Paul wrote in Titus 3, 5 and 6 that God saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit was poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Savior. God washes us clean through a spiritual rebirth. God renews us. God restores us through His Holy Spirit. You could describe conversion another way. That we were once dead in our trespasses and sins and God made us alive, forgiving us all our sins and paying off our insurmountable sin debt. Conversion is God making people alive. Conversion is also God replacing the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. Conversion is God making someone a new creation. Every truly converted person receives the Holy Spirit to dwell in them, to live in them, producing the beautiful fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you could take each of those and say they are a mark of a healthy Christian. So our aim as a church is so much more than moral reform. We aim at preaching and teaching the gospel so that people's hearts are changed, thus bringing about moral reform. Do you understand the difference? We work to see the gospel change people from the inside out. Now, if a house is crumbling, it has a crumbling foundation, its walls are caving in, collapsing, it's got rotted siding, slapping a coat of paint on the house may freshen it up a bit, all right? But it won't take care of the foundational issue. So changing your behavior without experiencing a heart change is like slapping a coat of paint on a rotting and collapsing house, See, conversion is pouring a new foundation and rebuilding. We need new hearts. And when God makes us alive and he, and he puts a new heart in us and he pours a new foundation, then he begins the process of rebuilding upon the foundation of his son, Jesus Christ, renovating everything about us. Do you have a new heart? Are you converted? You can't be healthy without a new heart. Healthy Christians are converted Christians. Number two, need. Healthy Christians are needy Christians. They know they desperately need Jesus. Self-sufficiency can be labeled a spiritual illness. It's a sickness. Now, Wilma's choice for the offertory this morning uh, was very, very appropriate, very fitting. I need thee every hour. I need thee every millisecond of every day. One of the most humbling passages in the Bible is Hebrews 1.3, which says this, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. His word holds galaxies in place. His word kindles 
Orion's belt. His word orbits the earth around the sun at over 67,000 miles per hour. His word keeps the rhythm of your heart. His word commands the 100 billion nerve cells of your brain. The word of Jesus Christ sustains life. We desperately need him. What's more, our soul needs him. We are thirsty and we desperately need to take a drink from the fountain of living water. We are hungry and we desperately need the bread of life. We are in darkness and in desperate need of the light. We are guilty and in desperate need of an advocate to represent us before God. We are helpless and in desperate need of God's provision. We are feeble and frail and in desperate need of God's sustaining power. Have you ever read Psalm 23 through the eyes of need? David was in need, and God provided everything that David needed. Without God, David was a sheep without a shepherd, anxious and wandering in barren fields. Without God, he drank from muddy, disease-infested cisterns and yearned for restoration with no hope on a road to perdition. Without God, he was overcome with fear in the face of evil in the valley of the shadow of death, striving alone in distress and in disquiet. Without God, there was no table, no victory, no anointing, or no blessing. Without God, goodness and mercy were gone, and God's wrath would consume him forever. You see, David wrote the words of this famous song from a position of great need, And every beautiful feature of Psalm 23 is a gift, a precious gift given to meet the deep-seated needs of the human soul. True faith admits need. True faith admits need and Christ's power to meet it. Jesus said in Luke 5, 31 through 32, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so the question is, are you sick? Because Jesus came to heal the sick. No, you can't be a healthy Christian unless you admit you're spiritually sick and in need of Jesus, the great physician. You need his diagnosis. You you need his medicine. You need his healing power. Are you keenly aware in your life of how much you need God? Now, oftentimes, our our sense of need becomes anesthetized with prosperity and pride. And so we often can't feel our dependence on God. We, we, We can't feel that we're so needy because we look at what we've amassed for ourselves and accomplished for ourselves. And like Nebuchadnezzar, we say, is not this great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Except we probably don't say it. We just think it. And it's not Babylon, it's our life, it's our possessions, it's our accomplishments. And this slips subtly into our theology. Romans 4.4 says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. That's entitlement, not grace. 
Is there any part of your theology that says, look at what I've done as the basis upon which you are accepted by God? Look at what I've done, therefore, God, you accept me because of of that. Paycheck or birthday gift. Self-sufficiency slips into how people understand the great doctrine of predestination. That God chose me because he looked into the future and he saw that I would choose him. And so he chose me based on me choosing him. Which essentially makes God's predestination of us conditional upon what we do, which directly conflicts with Ephesians 1.5. And it redefines faith as a meritorious work earning the justification of God instead of seeing faith as a gift from God, which Paul so clearly explained in Romans 3.24, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, Philippians 1.29. Luke even addressed this principle in, in Acts 13.48 and 18.27. The writer of Hebrews 12.2 addressed faith as a gift as well. Lots of places saying faith is a gift from God granted to you by His grace. It's not a meritorious work. The knee-jerk of the soul is to search for some way to give credit to ourselves. This is natural. This is just how we are. And it's prideful. Healthy Christians, mature Christians, are humble Christians who realize their desperate need for God. Number three, passion. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Folks, uh, it's sick. It's sick. But when the Barons release their football schedule, I go through my Google calendar and I put in all the games. Right there on my Google calendar. All the games ahead of time. As soon as I know about it, I reserve Friday nights for Barons football. I didn't even graduate from Man I'm Central. But I wear Barons apparel. In a very public way, I can sense it's in my heart. I'm like throwing it on to go to a Warwick basketball game last week at Manheim Township. This is sick. I just wanted people to know who I identify with. I mean, what's next? Face paint? This is sick. Is this strange for a grown man? And you know what? Not in Manheim. Not in Manheim. You see, when you're passionate about something, you put it in your schedule. You throw money at it. You put time and energy and passion in that direction. You know, may I suggest that people probably know just by watching your life what you're passionate about. What are you passionate about? Your calendar has the answer. Your credit card and your checkbook have the answer. Your heart has the answer. Why did Jesus overturn tables in the temple and run everybody out as a perceived wild man? Passion, zeal for God drove him to do that. Romans 12, 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, in spirit, serve the Lord. Passion is enthusiasm for God. Passion is enthusiasm for spiritual things. God wants passion from you, not lazy apathy. Hey, whatever. Maybe I'll get to that when I'm older. I love when Paul says, be fervent in spirit. Fervent literally means boil. Is your spirit boiling for God? After the resurrection, Jesus was walking with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And they didn't know that it was him, which is an awesome thing. He was undercover, apparently. And, and as they walked, Jesus taught them the scriptures. He's teaching them along the way. And, and when they arrived in town to stay the night, they had a meal together. And when Jesus broke the bread and he blessed it, uh, then they knew that it was him. And their eyes were opened. And, and then he just vanishes from their midst. And this is what they said after that, Luke 24, 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They heard the Bible explained, and their hearts burned. They burned for biblical doctrine. That's passion. That God breathes into you by his grace. Healthy Christians are passionate about God. I've prayed for revival here at Jerusalem Church. That would vi- revival would break out. And by revival, I mean this. Spirit-led return of the mind, the will, and the affections to enjoy and cherish God and His gospel with renewed passion and enthusiasm. I want to see this church just become inflamed with passion and seriousness for the things of the Lord, for His Word, for His Son, Revival is God granting very graciously more passion for him, more passion for his son, more passion for his word, and more passion for living holy lives. Do you want revival? Do you want to be enthusiastic about what you're engaged in here, about what God is doing in our midst? Healthy Christians are passionate about their relationship with God. Number four, truth. You will never grow healthy You'll never mature as a Christian without spending considerable time reading and studying God's Word. Truth is essential. If you're not consistently feeding on God's Word, you're not healthy. You're spiritually anemic or emaciated, better yet. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if you live by bread alone... Well, you're going to be spiritually anorexic. But if you feast and live by the word of God, even without bread, you will be spiritually robust. Truth is valuable. It's worth more than affluence. Only mature Christians believe things like Psalm 119.72 and 127, which say, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. So let me ask you a question. Are you most concerned about what gets deposited into your bank account or most concerned with what gets deposited into your heart? The strongest, most resilient, and relentless people have the Word of God in them. It's part of them. Now, I want to give you a couple strategies to use to grow in this area and uh, to help the truth become part of you. First, read and study the Bible on your own. Read and study the Bible on your own. Never depend solely on pastors, preachers, parents, professors, professionals. There's no substitute for studying the Bible on your own. Deep Bible study is therapeutic. Read books that help you understand the Bible. Now, if you don't enjoy reading, okay, that might be you. Uh, I understand that struggle, but you have to understand that without exercising your mind and heart through disciplined reading, atrophy sets in. Spiritual atrophy will set in. 
Same thing with physical ex- exercise. If you take a break for a while from physical exercise like I have, it starts to show. I went running the other day. <gasps> I mean, it was awful. I felt terrible. It was hot, but I still felt terrible. You have to build up and then you have to keep at it. Unrelenting. And so challenge yourself to read good theologies. Commentaries are very, very helpful in understanding. C.J. Mahaney wrote this little book. It's 96 pages. It's called The Cross-Centered Life. Now, I'm a slow reader, but if you read twice as slow as me, which is like, (laughs) you know what, you're in first grade. Uh, No, twice as slow as me, if you spent 10 minutes a day, you'd finish this uh, good theology book in around three weeks. And so if you look at that, you're able to, to finish quite a few of these books, the 15 or so maybe, over the course of the year. Now think of how much stronger you'd be if you just devoured little bits. This is not a huge volume of John Owen that reads, whew, very difficult. This will read and flow, and think of how much more you will grow in Christ and know Christ at the end of a year that you've read good books and feasted your mind and just spent 10 minutes a day. Hardly anything at all. Think of how you'd grow. Listen to good preaching. Come to church on Sundays and really listen. Really listen. Listen with your heart. Download sermons on your smartphone and really, really listen. Look on the internet for the endless resources of wonderful pastors who are preaching the word of God. Even conferences that you can download. When you go on vacation or you take a car trip, take preaching along and pop it in and just listen to good preaching. Come to Sunday school. Our Sunday school program uh, and ministry here is designed to help people grow And we're trying to bring improvements to that, trying to to beef that up to help you grow even more. Sit under healthy Bible teaching, things like Men of Steel and the Women's Bible Study. Take a class at LBC under Tim Nichols. You will learn something. He's a wealth of knowledge. At some point, we'll offer small groups here. And at that point, when they come, I want to challenge you now. Get ready to engage in small groups. You're going to grow. You're going to grow. Take advantage of these things. The point is, no matter where you go with that, the point is that healthy Christians find a way to feast on the truth. Number five, fight. Healthy Christians are fighters. They're scrappy fighters. They're tough fighters. When sin punches, mature Christians dodge and punch back. Even when their eyes are swollen and they're bleeding and they can't see anything, they're just throwing out punches. Paul told Timothy, I have fought the good fight. He encouraged him to wage the good warfare, to fight the good fight of faith. Faith is a fight. Feels like a fight. We fight sin by dodging sin through unyielding repentance and faith. The great Puritan John Owen, he wrote this, quote, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. End of quote. If you're healthy, you fight to kill. You fight to kill. God said to Cain, Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. You know, Hitler and the Third Reich, um, they would have endured had FDR and Churchill coddled Hitler. 
But they fought Hitler because he was bad. He was really bad. Sin desires to kill you, so don't coddle it. Fight it to kill it. We fight sin with relentless repentance and faith. Repentance is simply turning from sin. Constantly turning from sin. Turning from sin. We fight with the word no. The author of Hebrews described it like this. Hebrews 12.1 Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely... You know, when a, when a running back is busting down the field, there's guys lunging at him and grabbing at his side. He's breaking tackles so that he can enjoy that end zone, which is where he's headed. We need to rip off the hands of sin from us. We need to say no, but we need to say yes in faith to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.1 continues, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We break the tackle of sin, we keep our eyes on the end zone of Christ, and we head for it. Unrelenting, it is much better to hit the end zone than to get tackled. Agreed? Ephesians 6 explains how to fight with the spiritual armor of God. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, Faith, salvation, the word of God and prayer are all used to fight. All used to defend us against the schemes of Satan. I often forget to fight with faith. I somehow slip into this mentality. Man, this is just a losing battle. I'm going to lose again. I'm going to lose again. I'll never survive this. I'm done. I slip into that. I fail to fight with faith. Yes, sin is strong, but that attitude is nothing but unbelief. It's unbelief. Unbelief says God's grace and Holy Spirit are insufficient to provide for us in our moment of need. It's not believing the promises of God. It's saying, this is too strong. I'm just going to get bowled over by this sin. I'm not going to fight because I just lost the battle before I ever began. That's unbelief. And, And getting beat up is not healthy. It's not healthy. Faith is fighting with trust that God's grace will get you through, that Jesus will provide for you in your moment of need and that he will provide a way out for you and that we just have to get behind Jesus and take that way out, take the escape route. He'll lead us out of the exploding building at just the right time. You're not gonna be tempted beyond what you can handle. All of us know we're gonna lose fights along the way. We're gonna get bloody. We're going to get some eyes that that aren't seeing so clearly because they're swollen. Life is hard. But we better make sure that we're dodging punches and we better make sure we're punching back to win. Healthy Christians fight sin with continual and resolute repentance and faith. Number six, worship. Healthy Christians worship. They worship. They, They express this wonderful joy that's inside of their heart for God. They, they want to get it out. To worship is to adore God. It's to revere Him. It's to honor Him. It's to serve Him. It's even to do outward acts of worship. You know, the Bible talks a lot, if you read in worship, a lot about external acts of worship. Worship is external, but you know, it always originates in the heart. Because if the heart's not tracking, if the heart's not worshiping, the external acts, they're just dead religion. They don't matter at all. God hates them. Oh, but how precious it is when your heart is there and you offer the sacrifice of worship to God and he receives it through his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, it's precious. Even though it's broken, even though it's messy, 
Oh, how precious it is to Him. The heart of a healthy Christian enjoys and rejoices in God. And as I look at worship, I think it expresses itself in three different ways. Individual, corporate, and family. Individual, corporate, and family. Personal worship. Healthy Christians worship God on their own. Have you ever had just you and God a mini worship service where you're doing a lot of the things that we're doing here? You're meditating on Scripture. You're just enjoying. You're, you're maybe singing in joy to Him. You're praying to Him. Nobody's around. Sometimes you feel foolish, but you're just letting it go because it's you and God in individual worship. I hope that you've done that because it's part of a healthy Christian life. But following Jesus is way more than just Jesus and me. If you love Jesus with all your heart, you are an important member of a family. A family. People who love you. A a part of a people. You have an identity. You have a new father. You have a new older brother. And you have other brothers and sisters who all love you and want you to grow in Christ. Peter called it a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We are His. We are His possession. We are His people. We are a chosen race. God saves individuals and He pulls them into a family. He makes them part of a a bigger identity, which brings us to corporate worship. Healthy Christians worship God with their brothers and sisters in Christ with other Christians, you cannot, please listen very carefully to this point, you cannot be healthy and willingly and frequently miss corporate worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. All throughout redemptive history, we see a picture of God's people congregating and glorifying Him together with the saints. From the resurrection of Christ until now, Christians have been meeting in local groups, churches to worship God together. Steady attendance doesn't doesn't make you healthy, but you can't be healthy without steady attendance of corporate worship. How can we say that, man, I just love Jesus. I'm just so excited about Jesus. He is everything to me. And then totally discount and toss off his special day. I can think of very, very, very few good reasons to miss corporate worship. Very few. Sporadic worship attendance shows one thing, great spiritual immaturity. There is chapter and verse for this. I can defend it. This is God's word, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, corporate worship is a way that we gather together and we stir up one another to love and good works. We encourage one another. We say, keep pressing on. I know it's been hard for you this week, but keep pressing on. Jesus is precious to us. Keep pressing on. Keep doing the good things. Keep loving your boss. Keep loving your spouse. Keep at it. Stay at it. I know you're getting beat down, but stay at it. We need each other for this. That's why God put these types of verses in here. 
because it glorifies Him as we help each other pursue Christ. And so inconsistent attendance really diminishes that ministry that we have to each other and that worship expression to God which displeases Christ. So if God commands regular worship, inconsistency would be what? Disobedience. Disobedience. Some people habitually miss corporate worship and that's really spiritually dangerous for those people and those families and those kids. Corporate worship is an important way to grow together. We need each other and every single person is important. Every single Christian that's part of our fellowship is able to offer something to us that we need to benefit from them. That's how God made the body in, in the book of Acts, when the church is just growing like crazy in leaps and bounds, Acts 2, 42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoted to getting together and growing together, sitting under good teaching, taking the Lord's Supper together, eating together, fellowshipping together, encouraging one another. It was a mark of the healthy church. And healthy Christians, it was very, very important for them to get together. And this is a concept that we see all throughout redemptive history. From the very beginning, people gathered to worship God. Joshua 8, 34 and 35. It's such a cool passage. This is what it says. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This is precious to see young ones in our worship service. Amen? We welcome them. We shouldn't look and, oh, who's making a noise? We got to be careful with that. All right, if they're going crazy, take them out, right? That's appropriate. But we want them to be part of us. The little ones sat under the the, uh, reading of the law. Worship is a very, very corporate thing. Very corporate. If the team has a meeting, it's important that all the players are there. Agreed? This works for every other thing in the world except, man, when we start talking about church, hey, don't press me, pastor. I'm busy. Hmm. What would they do if your church attendance was your attendance at work? Would they fire you? Legit question. If, if people are missing, it's a big deal. We love you. We want you to be part. We want you to grow with us. It's not spiritually healthy to miss corporate worship. So next time that you're on vacation and you're like, not going to be at Jerusalem or maybe you're traveling on business, on that Sunday morning, look for a church. Look for a local church. My family has done this on occasion, and I, you'll have a story, guaranteed. I mean, this can be quite fun. Uh, but we, we were just talking about when we were in St. Petersburg, Florida, on um, one of our anniversaries, uh, a couple had a, a house down there that they just gave it to us if we went down and traveled down. So we traveled down and stayed in this place, and we went to St. Petersburg Presbyterian Church. And we worship with those brothers and sisters. And then we, I just saw online earlier that they bought a building now. It wasn't in town where they were. Uh, they were renting a space, and so they went out. And so now I feel like somewhat connected to that church a little bit because I was there. Man, make that a priority to be in church. It's fun. It's healthy. Healthy Christians attend church regularly. This is not rocket science. All right. Then there is family worship. Now, sadly, many families completely miss this. 
Family worship is fundamental to Christian growth. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 sometime for the importance and pattern of family worship. Every Christian home is a mini church. Every dad is a pastor or should be. And mom joins him as the teaching team, a powerful teaching team, or even grandma and grandpa for the family. But dad takes the lead. And so family worship is regular. It's preferably daily. Gathering all the family members together to worship God. And just so it's, I think, biblically clear, it's more than bedtime prayers. Bedtime prayers are important, but family worship is much more than that. It's reading and teaching the Bible and theology. It's memorizing scripture. It's singing together. It's catechizing. It's um, creative. Maybe act out the historical story or whatever. Let Get the kids involved. It can be quite fun. Now, our family takes about 15 to 20 minutes a night, and we've been doing it for years, and uh, it's proven profitable for all of us. Um, most nights, we make it a priority, but we do struggle sometimes, and sometimes we don't nail it. Um, we're not perfect in it. Sometimes one of the family members isn't paying attention. Sometimes someone's playing with Legos or jabbing someone with a stick or standing on their head, and that's not even the kids. <laughs> That's Christina. <laughs> Just being honest. No, I don't stand on my head much. No, or, or at all. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's wild. It can be great, but healthy Christians worship together on a regular basis as a family. Worship is important for healthy Christians. It's a priority. Now, I would imagine that some of you have just heard what I've just said and that you're convicted. You're convicted that you, you know that's not been the pattern of your life. And I'd imagine that some of you parents are looking back saying, we never did family worship. And that's on you before God. And, and you might get convicted about that. I hope the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. But I want to just encourage you. I want to just, just build you up in that, if that's you getting convicted, rightly so, if you should be convicted. Commit to God in these areas. Uh, lay it out to him. He wants to hear what's on your heart. And then take some steps to not, you know, to be faith, more faithful in the future. To be faithful with what God laid in front of you now. Grow, rise to the occasion instead of getting buried under the guilt. That's not what God wants He wants you to own up to your past failures, to repent and believe and trust Christ, and then on the projection that he has you on now, make some changes for the future. Challenge yourself to do just a couple more things to be more faithful to him. Don't get bogged down with guilt. That's what the cross is for. Take the grace and then work on it in the future to be more faithful. Make some changes because you love Jesus and because he's awesome and because it's not up to you being a perfect parent or being a perfect elder or being a perfect church member or a person or woman, a man. It's not about our perfection. It's about Christ's perfection. And he did it all right. And if you trust him, he'll help you grow. So be encouraged by that. If you're convicted, be encouraged to grow in these areas, in all these areas. Number seven, the last one for this morning, prayer. Back on April 27th, I preached a message that was entitled, God Hears You, and it was on prayer. 
And it may help you to go back and to listen to it again, but healthy Christians have a healthy prayer life. And this is one of the areas of, of my life that I know I'm, I'm sick. I'm not healthy. I, I, need to, I need God to do a work of grace in me to make me more healthy with prayer. Um, if your prayer life is unhealthy, you are unhealthy. If your prayer life is immature, you are immature. I own that. We got to own it. Listen to what John Owen said about prayer. Quote, if we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. Let this be one aspect of our daily intercession. God, preserve my soul and keep my heart and all its ways so that I will not be entangled. When this is true in our lives, a passing temptation will not overcome us. We will remain free while others lie in bondage. End of quote. Prayer is liberating. Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes us. Two simple things about prayer, its necessity and its power in the healthy Christian's life. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is simple. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Pray, 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 pray. You failed, pray again. Pray, pray, pray. Just be unrelenting in prayer. The second point is that prayer is powerful. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Great power, it works. Healthy Christians pray words of power that impact the world. Now, I struggle in private prayer. You might as well. It gets boring to me sometimes, which just shows the hardness of my heart. And I need to get healthy. My heart is the problem. God has answered prayer in my life, so I have no excuse. I know that when I lay it out, He cares and that He answers this stuff. So I got to keep, keep working on it, keep putting it out. God has asked me to pray, Jesus has taught me to pray. I want to be faithful to him, yet it's hard for me. You cannot grow and bear fruit as a mature Christian without prayer, without diligent, focused, intentional prayer. It simply must be part of your life if you want to be a healthy Christian. I'll bring it in for a close. When you get run down and you're not feeling too well, you might pick up a cold or the flu or, you know, or whatever, isn't it often because we haven't had a few things we haven't been watching our rest. We haven't been exercising. We haven't been hydrated like we should. And we haven't been eating like we should with good nutrition. Isn't it linked oftentimes to those things that if we just manage those few simple things that we all know, we would feel better? Well, you can neglect them, but if you do, it's going to sh- soon show up and eventually you're going to grow healthy. Your body needs these things just like your heart needs these things. Conversion. Need, passion, truth, fight, worship, and prayer. Next week, we're going to look into love, accountability, giving, works, family, discipleship, and worldview. And I really hope that when you hear these, you want to grow spiritually. Because health is good. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we need you every hour. Thank you for that hymn which brings us back to the truth that we need you in all moments of our lives. And God, I pray that that you will do something in our congregation. Start with me, God. Do something in my heart that I could be a more healthy Christian. God, you've done so much in our midst. And yet we want to be healthy. Some of our members aren't healthy. Some of them are healthy, but they could be more healthy. None of us is healthy like Jesus is, is healthy. And we want to be just like him. So help all of us to grow. 
There are some that don't know Jesus Christ and they're outside of our walls and we live next to them. We go to work with them. They're our friends. They come over and they don't know Jesus and they are very, very sick. They're, they're dead, in fact. And so God, help us to be so healthy and interested in other people's spiritual health that we talk about Jesus. We tell someone about what Jesus has done for us. And God, may that catch fire in Penryn and in Mannheim and in Lidditz and in Lancaster County, all the different places that we come from. God, would, would you just do a work of grace to, to uh, make us healthy as a community? So God, we need, we need your grace. We need your favor. We need your strength and your power. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much that when we look at this mountain and say, I don't know how I'm going to get healthy. I just feel so spiritually sick. That Jesus is there saying, I will help you with that. I will totally help you with that. I haven't left you. I'll give you the proper diagnosis. I'll give you the proper medicine. I am your medicine. You just drink of me and you'll get healthy. So God, I pray that we prioritize Jesus here at this church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.